the book of Luke chapter 21 as we continue our series on Luke. We're drawing closer to the end. You notice there's only a few more chapters in there. Uh, been really blessed by the opportunity to go through this together over the last year or so, right? We started this back in last February. Uh, so it has been a well of goodness. So we're going to start there and I'm going to read verses 25 through 28, and then I'll pray. Luke 21 and verse 25, Jesus is speaking and he says, Then there will be signs in the sun, the moon and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today and worship over it, I thank you, Lord, that you open our eyes to the wonders of it. Holy Spirit, uh, illuminate it for us and translate us to the book. Uh, so that we can understand more about who you are, what you've done, and what that means in our life. We thank you for the goodness of having your revelation to hold in our hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know that's kind of a weird passage to start with, and we're going to talk today about why Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Uh, but before we do that, I want to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork and Heather, if you'll put that screenshot up on the back. Yeah. Uh, so this was uh, going around on social media. It was a post on a popular message board site uh, and it was floating around because of what it says. And I'll read it for the sake of the folks that are uh, joining us online this morning. Good morning. Uh, but it says, does anyone else get that deep feeling of needing to go home. And this was on a board of, you know, questions you'd be afraid to ask or something along those lines. And this one they've tagged to do with mental health. Does anyone else get that deep feeling of needing to go home? And when I mean home, I don't actually mean the place you live. I mean a deep yearning for a place that feels like home and never feeling comfortable or accepted in any place or day to day life. I've been having this feeling for as long as I can remember, a deep pit in my stomach and a pain in my chest. All I can think of is I just want to go home, but I don't know where home is. Maybe it's part of my depression or my other mental health conditions, but it doesn't seem to correlate with those bad days. Maybe I'm an alien. I'm obviously not an alien, but who knows? And so this just really jumped out to me. And you've heard me talk multiple times about the idea of home and just the, the honesty here, and that's why it was floating around even in some, some ministry circles after this kind of got picked up. So does anyone else get the deep feeling to go home? A, a yearning for a place, not, not the place where you live, but a place that feels like home and never feeling comfortable or accepted anywhere else. Deep pit in my stomach and a pain in my chest. All I can think of is I want to go home, but I don't know where home is. And I think that anybody in here who's a person can identify with that, at least on some level, right? 
We've all felt that, that, that feeling there. As a matter of fact, I'd say that, that that is the human condition. And I read down, I pulled it, I went to the source and looked at some of the comments and there were a lot of people saying, yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I feel like I need to escape where I am and, and be somewhere else. They're like, I feel like I just need to get in the truck and go drive. I feel like I just need to get in, on a train and just go as far as it would go and, and, and try to find the place that feels like this. This is what it's like to be a human, right? This is what it's like to feel the way that we feel. And interestingly enough, while, while studying on some of this Son of Man uh, sermon, I came across a description for a show that was going to be on the BBC. And it was called Being Human, kind of a play on human beings. And, and they took this really high view of people and of humans, even calling us the greatest wonder of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel a whole lot more like that than I do feeling like the greatest wonder of the world. Right. That to, to be a human, at least as we know it, is to know restlessness and dissatisfaction. Restlessness and dissatisfaction. What this person is, is describing is a disappointment that comes when you think you've arrived somewhere. You think I've made it home. I've gotten what I need. I made it to the point that, that, that I'm happy. But then you don't stay happy long. It's the disappointment of feeling like you've arrived, realizing that you haven't, getting tired of where you are and, and looking for the place that, that feels like home. For someone that's far from God, that, that's the definition of what life feels like. Every time I get somewhere, I think this is it. And then slowly but surely, I get tired of it. I understand that it wasn't what I thought it was. It couldn't do for me what I wanted it to do for me. And I start to long for home again. And even for the believer, we know that our everlasting home is in heaven. And yet we deal with fatigue here what it's like to know where home is and to not yet be there. There's an impatience that comes up, right? One of them is an aimlessness that, that's looking for home. And the other one gets weary being en route on the way home, uh, burdened and distracted by temptations that try to trick you into forgetting where home actually is, what life is really all about, that God really does tell the truth. That's what it's like to be a person. And I wanted to start there because this, this sermon today, I, I believe, is going to connect some dots uh, for us, especially with things that we've talked about up to this point. It's going to be a pretty high view of this idea of the Son of Man. I call it the drone shot. And it's going to hit us in different places, depending on how familiar you are with some of these things we're going to talk about today, because I won't have time to go into the context of all of them. But even if you know nothing about any of those, I believe you're going to see something today that, that's going to encourage you. So here in Luke, going back to Luke 21, I want to summarize Versus telling the people, listen, the temple is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed. There's not going to be one stone left on top of the other. And they say, Lord, when is this going to happen? And he says, you're going to see signs of, of, of the coming of this. 
He said, and it's even going to involve persecution for you. He said, but it's going to be worse than that because Jerusalem in total is going to be destroyed. And then he refers to himself as the son of man. In the passage that we read in verse 27, he says, they will see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. So again, this is going to connect some things that we've already talked about. Um, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the image of God, the Imago Dei, that every man and woman is created in the image of God. Going back to the beginning, Jesus said that uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your soul. And the second one, the second commandment in his list of Importance is like it. We talked about why is it like it? Why is the second commandment like the first? It's because the object of the second commandment is like the object of the first commandment. Love the Lord your God and also love those that were created in his image. And we talked about how God's garden, Eden, created in the beginning, uh, existed as an overlap of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth meeting together. God and the man that he created meeting there together. He created man and woman to image him and exercise his authority in creation, his goodness to the creation. But as we know, man and woman decided that they would try to stand on their own. And instead of glorifying and exalting God, they glorified and exalted themselves. When they gave into the temptation that came from the serpent. Now, the serpent, it tells us, was the most cunning, was the most crafty of all of the beasts. And then when man and woman sinned, there were penalties that came from that. Right. Penalties, curses on life and existence here that didn't weren't in place before that that came in place after that. And they were driven out of the garden. So there were penalties that came from sin. But there was also a promise that one would come that would defeat the serpent. Right. And so from that point, we see two different paths to life emerge. You see the path of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, those that would walk that path. And then the path of the serpent, the path of the beast. People were walking in one or the other. And you see that even in the first story uh, that, that follows that, the story of Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain got angry at his brother. He got angry at God. And God himself warned Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And we know that he doesn't rule over it. He is instead ruled by it, kills his brother, walking the way of the beast, not the way of the kingdom. This is an image God gives us in the language that he uses. He gives us the image of sin as a beast or an animal crouching to attack, to rule over man. He said it's, it, it desires to have you. You must rule over it. And then again, he doesn't. So man begins to instead of becoming more like they wanted to when they gave into temptation in the garden, they actually begin to become less and they become more like the beast than the men and the women they were created to be in the image of God. You see that 
when Cain goes and builds a city instead of ruling over sin, sinful desires, ruling in the hearts of men and women. We see it when Noah walked the earth, that there were a few that were following the way of the kingdom. But there were many more who were following the way of the beast, the way of the serpent. And even then they had the desire to be home. Because we see when it tells the story in Genesis of the Tower of Babel, they said, let us make our names great. We're going to make a tower that reaches to heaven to restore what that connection. They said, we're going to restore it. We're going to do it. We're going to make our name great. We know that that didn't work out. And by contrast, God came to Abraham when he called him out from among his people and said, I'm going to create uh, uh, myself, a people for me. And he, what did he tell Abraham? I'm going to make your name great. Your name will be great. All the nations of the world will be blessed through your family. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, had a dream where he saw a stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Again, going back to that overlap between heaven and earth, that connection there that was broken at Eden. But we see it imaged there. We see Moses at Sinai. Same thing. Overlap. Heaven and earth. The tabernacle was designed to show the connection between heaven and earth. The temple that was built by God's specifications. Again, meant to show that overlap and point to that. And yet, even with those beautiful things going on in the history of mankind, we still were unable to resist the way of the beast, the way of sin. And I know I told you that's a lot of context. You're like, whoa, that's a whole bunch. The main point is we knew what we needed. We knew we needed that connection. We knew we needed that relationship between heaven and earth, us and God, but we couldn't do it. We knew we needed home, but we couldn't reach it. We needed the one that was promised in Genesis, the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And we've covered this before. We knew we needed that, but we were never enough to reach it. Why? Because we were only human. Only human, right? That song regained popularity on the Internet. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. But I'm only human. You've heard it? Some of you? No. Okay. <laughs> We're only human. We couldn't do it. And then Jesus comes on the scene and begins preaching the good news of the kingdom. Remember, that's where we started in Luke. Once he began to go around, he said explicitly he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Or in other words, preaching about home for us. He said in Luke chapter four, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well, because that's why I was sent. And as we saw Wednesday night in our Bible study, he preached it to everyone. There wasn't anybody who was left out. He preached the good news of the kingdom to everyone. So again, why did he call himself the son of man? Let's look back at 
the text here in chapter 21. Again, he tells them the temple is going to be destroyed. They valued the temple a great deal. He said the, the temple is going to be destroyed. And they said, when? He said, well, there's going to be signs. There's going to be conflict in the earth. There's going to be things natural and political. And there's going to be persecution on you for my name. They're going to grab you up, take you into court. Don't worry about what you're going to say because I'll put it on your heart. The right thing to say when that happens, when you're brought before kings and you're brought before governors. And you'll bear witness. Bear witness to what? The true king and his kingdom. And then he told them in 24 or 20 through uh, 24 that the holy city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. He said, what, what you've known as home, everything that you've held tightly to that you thought was indestructible is going to be eradicated. And that happened in uh, A.D. 70 when Rome destroyed Jerusalem. He says, but. They will see in verse 27, the son of man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you that the, the word son of man means a human. Means a person, a human being. He said they will see the human coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So son of man is a human. But when you talk about a human coming in the clouds with great glory, that's a wild image. That's not something that would ring with us, but they would have recognized it because what he is throwing back to is the book of Daniel, chapter seven. And I want you to look at this with me. If you'll turn there, Daniel, chapter seven, I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but Daniel is having a prophetic dream or vision. And Daniel was about five to six hundred years before Jesus. It was during the Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Then they took away all the uh, young men of any standing and any ability to try to convert them to Babylonians. That was their way of defeating a society. We're going to take everybody who can do anything and we're going to take them with us. We're going to teach them how to live like us. Then we'll send them back. They won't have a civilization anymore. They'll be part of our civilization. So he's having this prophetic Dream And it is wild. Prophetic dreams and visions can be very, very wild when you read about them in the Bible. It says he saw a vision of four beasts and he gives a wild description of these mutant, weird beasts that are mixtures of animals and people. And they sound terrible. It talks about the first one and then it describes the second one and the third one. And they're getting progressively worse until you get to the fourth one that he can't even properly describe. And these are images of kings and kingdoms on the earth. But it says of that fourth beast Look in verse seven. After this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and it crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it. It had ten horns. So again, progressively worse. And he sees it frightening and dreadful, strong, devouring, crushing, trampling everything in front of it. It says it could see with human eyes and it spoke arrogantly in the presence of God. And again, prophetic dreams could be a little bit 
little bit wild. But these were images of kings and kingdoms of men going back to the theme of humans are capable of great evil, beastly acts. We don't have to go into that very long. Everybody can testify to that. But again, becoming more like the beasts of the fields than being the image of God that they were created to be. And we know what it's like to suffer under the violence and the control of, of, of the beasts of the field. The sin of the world is a terrible picture. And then in Daniel 7, verse 9 and 10, I want to read here. He says, he says I, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like the whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire and a river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were open. The ancient of days, the throne room. Thrones are set up. And then it says the books were open following uh, that followed by that was the defeat of the beast. I know you're like, whoa, take a deep breath if you need to. As I watched, because of the sound of the arrogant words, the horn was speaking, the beast is speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. So the beast is defeated in the present of the ancient of days. God Almighty, God the Father. How did this happen? Look at what it says next. Verse 13, as I continued watching in the night visions. Suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So you have one, it says, like a son of man, like a human, Coming in the clouds of heaven, it says he approaches the ancient of days. He's given dominion, kingdom, glory. Everybody of the earth would serve him. He would have everlasting dominion that would never pass away. And again, five to six hundred years before Jesus said what we read in Luke. He'll be given a kingdom that will not be destroyed. He'll be one like a son of man, one like a human. One like us, but one that's not been corrupted by the way of the beast. One who not only resisted it, but defeated the beast, defeated sin, defeated death, not ruled by it, but defeating it in dominion. He's the promised one, the one who would restore the kingdom of heaven on earth. And through the whole book of Luke we've been reading, Jesus has called himself the son of Man, even on Wednesday night, when we were talking about Zacchaeus, what did he say at the end of that little passage with Zacchaeus? He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that 
which was lost. Right. So thinking about those overlaps, you had the overlap of Eden, of Sinai, of the tabernacle, of the temple. Jesus said the temple is going to be destroyed. Their thought would have gone to then where will we know God? How will we know God? And he was coming to replace and be that overlap for us. The kingdom of heaven present on earth, perfect and permanent. He left us no doubt to who he was, who he is and why he came. He came to defeat the beast and to deliver all of those who were suffering under the rulership of it. To deliver them out of the kingdom of sin, death and in destruction and into the kingdom of heaven that he came preaching. And he taught his disciples and through his disciples, the world has been instructed on how to walk in the light and walk in not in darkness, but in light, walk in the kingdom of God and not the way of the beast. He said this temple that's so beautiful, this city that's been so holy and set apart, it's going to be destroyed. But fear not. He comforts them by saying, don't be afraid because the son of man is ascending. And we'll get there in a few weeks. But when he stood before the Sanhedrin in chapter 22, he said, the next time you see the son of man, it'll be at the right hand of God in power and glory. What was he talking about? He was talking about the other throne that was set up in the book of Daniel. He said there is a throne next to the ancient of days and one like a son of man is going to ascend to that throne. And when he does, he's going to be given a kingdom that will never end, a dominion that can never be defeated. So as these things happen and it seems like all of the connection that you knew to God is taken away, look to the perfect and permanent replacement of it. Daniel said, I see four beasts and I see them fierce and powerful. They're dreadful and they are devouring everything in front of them. They're crushing and trampling. They're arrogant and they're boasting against the ancient of days. What better description can you have of sin and how it just ravages our life? He says, I saw the Ancient of Days take his seat in fire and glory. And as I watched the fourth beast, the worst of all of them was killed and his body destroyed, given over to the fire. And then suddenly one like a son of man was coming on the clouds, ascending in glory, victorious. It says he approached the throne of the Ancient of Days. The son of man, one like a human, approached the throne and he was given dominion and glory and those from every nation and tongue would serve him. An everlasting dominion that would not pass away. One kingdom that would never be destroyed. Now, we've all known the way of the beast, what it's like to be ruled by sin what it's like to live life in the dark, to be devoured by sin, to even experience it at this point as I believe you experience in the world that we live in. And we know what it's like to be trampled by it and crushed by it. Unable to when we're in darkness, we're even unable to resist it. We can't even fight back against it, unable to defeat it. Remember, right? we're only human. We know there's a home, but we can't reach it. We know there's a way to be, but we can't live it. But Jesus said the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. 
He told us who he was, that one would come who was like a son of man, like a human, to seek and save the lost and to deliver us from sin and death, defeating the kingdom of the beast, defeating what originated way back in the garden when man and woman couldn't rule over it, but were instead ruled by it, becoming more like an animal and less than uh, the, the, the people that they were supposed to be. That image, God Almighty to his creation. Now we're going to talk about it as we get closer to Easter and we continue to talk about the kingdom and Christ being enthroned as the king. But we know that he came to bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, restore that relationship, that overlap of heaven and earth that we were made to live in and we had been forced to live without. Remember when we were talking about the earlier context and I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to closing. Because I know you, you can't handle much more of this today, probably. But we talked about Abraham and God made him a promise. And we talked about his grandson, Jacob, when he was sleeping in the field and he had a dream and he had one of those dreams. Right. And he said it said he saw a stairway to heaven and angels ascending and descending. Right. That sounds like that overlap. That sounds like that connection. He said, I saw angels ascending and descending. And some have said it's probably like, you know, we, we hear a ladder, but it was probably like one of those uh, ziggurat uh, type structures with stairs that kept going around and around and just went way, way up into the sky. He said that's what it, that's what he saw. And in the book of John, chapter one, Jesus meets a man named Nathaniel. And Nathanael says to him, you are the son of God, the king of Israel, because Jesus knew who he was, where he was from, what he had been doing. He kind of shocked him with that. And he said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus said in John 1, 51, he said, truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the son of man. Restoring that connection angels ascending and descending on the son of man. So big, so big. He said, I'm restoring the connection, the king of the kingdom of heaven, the king of heaven in the earthly realm, the son of man, one like a human, but better than anyone who's ever walked. He said, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to restore your home. That so that that feeling that we've all felt like I said, in one context or another, even when we're completely in darkness and we're just completely disappointed with everything in life because nothing ever gives us what we thought that it would. Or in our in our following of Christ, knowing where home is when we get weary on the journey and we get impatient. We know where it is, but there's things that pop up in life, cares of this world, temptations of the flesh that would try to trick us into forgetting where home actually is. And we walk in a little bit of that impatience. Christ came to restore home in us, in our heart first, and then, and then at the end of all things, restore it completely. He's the promised one. He's the son of man who's going to bring restoration. And he hasn't hidden this from us. He told them from the beginning, the son of, they, they called him the Christ. They called him teacher. They called him Messiah. He said, I'm the son of man. This is what the son of man has come to do. And he was referring to 
what would be done when he ascended to the throne of the father, the only one worthy to do that. And he said, I'm going to be given the kingdom. Get on board. Amen. He hasn't hidden it from us. He's called us into it. The son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. So it doesn't matter what else happens. He was giving them all kinds of bad news in their mind. The temple's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You're going to be called in front of kings and governors and you're going to bear witness to my kingdom. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. He says, but by your endurance, you'll gain your lives. Jerusalem will be destroyed, but they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your hands because your redemption draws nigh. Amen. He is the son of man. He told us who he is. He told us what he came to do and he did not let down on anything that he said. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? We are ready to pray today and Andrew will come up. Let's pray. Father, we know what it's like to live life under the foot of the beast to live life a slave to sin and all the pain and insufficiency that comes along with that. God, we know what it's like. We know what it's like to feel like there's a home that we just can't reach, that we just can't get to. And I thank you that even though we were less than unable to reach you, unable to, to defeat the beast and stand in your presence, you sent the one that you promised you would. At the very beginning, the one that would crush the head of the serpent, the one that would crush the beast and destroy his domination of our hearts and our minds. I thank you that you have opened our eyes. You have unlocked our hearts to what love really is. And you've taught us where home is. We feel the, the, the first of it now, a shadow and an inkling of it now. And I thank you that it'll be enough to get us all the way home as we follow you faithfully, not being ruled by sin and the beast, but ruling over it, taking dominion over it in our own life. We know it crouches at the door desiring to have us, but I thank you that you have given us the ability through Christ Jesus to rule over it because he is the one who ascended in glory and power. He is the one who's been given a name that's above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord forever. I thank you, Father, that your truth stands. Even when the temple fell, even when Jerusalem was destroyed, the king was enthroned. And you were restoring the connection between heaven and earth that we need, that we were drowning, trying to get. 
I thank you that you saved us. You brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. And I thank you that the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He didn't show up looking for those who had it all together. He didn't show up looking for those who had everything in order. He came to the blind beggar on the side of the street. He came to the chief tax collector, climbed up in a tree. I thank you that he came for them and he came for us. And I thank you that in those times that we feel that longing for home, that we'll know the comfort and the peace of having a heart that is owned by the King of Heaven who defeated the beast. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that as we leave today, we go in peace and unity together with each other. God, keep us safe. Protect us. I thank you that you give us wisdom and peace as we walk through this week with you in mind. God, encourage us, build us up in our time with you so that we can be an encouragement to others, so that we can be a light into this world, pointing others to you, to this life that we've found in the Son of Man. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy on our lives in Jesus' name.